We are Marquette. 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 I'm Tim Sigelski. Today on the podcast, we have President Michael Lovell. Dr. Lovell stopped by to talk about what he sees will be different for the class of 2021, advice he'd give his 20-year-old self, who he considers his role models, what he learned from the theater department, and more. Welcome, Dr. Lovell. Thanks, Tim. So it's been three years since you started at Marquette. When you look back, what stands out most to you in that time? Well, I think uh, it's really the people. I think that's what makes Marquette a special place, and it's my fourth institution in I've never been anywhere where people care as much about each other and as much about the universities here at Marquette. And I see it with current students, I see it with the faculty and staff, and I certainly see it with our alumni when they go out and meet with them. What has surprised you the most so far? You know, again, getting back to the people and the passion that they have for this university and the passion for our mission. Service to others is not something we say. It's something that we do when we practice. And you know, the, the fact that 85% of our students have significant service experience before they, they graduate, you know, we, we quantified it and it was over 550,000 hours of community service that they're doing. And so, you know, that really is, you know, I knew that Marquette's, you know, mission was to produce men and women who life and service to others, but this university really lives that mission, you know, and I see it firsthand every day. So it's really exciting. So I, I know one thing that has um, kind of been part of your tenure here is like you're being you're you're part of the student body you're you're out there in front of students you know even you know running down wisconsin avenue as during this class change and people say hi to you and you say hi back and that sort of thing can you think of a student here who has personally impacted you uh and what was that impact and one of the great things about marquette is you know the, the students are so engaged and so it's been great to get to know them you know, through those engagements. And, you know, a, a lot of, I would say a lot of students have, you know, I've learned a lot from a lot of the students. Uh, but I, I think looking back, I think there are really, there are two students uh, that both just graduated this year that overcame such significant things to get to graduation and to see how they were, you know, really, you know, overcame those challenges just really inspired me. And that's uh, Jen Waters and Ian Cluen. And, you know, Jen, you know, she had the terrible accident in, in Spain and, you know, was really on death's door and was not only just able to recover, but she was able to come back and graduate and, you know, to to go through something so traumatic and to come out the other end in such a positive way. And then Ian, you know, he was part of the running group, but he's, you know, he's legally blind and he experienced everything other students did on this campus. You know, he didn't let that limitation hold him back. And he's in medical school uh, this coming fall. And so uh, both of them, you know, when you think about, you know, what they overcame to get to graduation and the stories that they were able to tell. And for me to get to, bo- get to know both of them, you know, very well personally uh, was, was something that, you know, I- I'll remember them forever. And, I, you know, something that, you know, both of them are, should inspire all of us. And uh, just uh, another detail about Ian. So, you know, legally blind, he's run these camps uh, for kids with vision impairment. And uh, this past spring ran Boston Marathon with you and just destroyed it, <laughs> just yeah. destroyed the course. I mean, and... yeah, he, 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 he won the visually impaired division. Uh, based on that, he actually, you know, they asked him to, to run for the national team. Mm. Oh, I didn't you know, know that. So, yeah, so he's going to be training for to represent uh, Team USA at the at the at, um, the World Championships. And so, 
again, this is a guy who, again, the camps he ran, you know, vision forward. You know, he asked me, that's how I got to know him. He asked me to be part of running a track meet for these visually impaired children. And it was a day down at the uh, Valley Fields. And, you know, again, it was something that, you know, I learned a lot from, from those kids. And, you know, again, they just want to be like everybody else and experience the things that other kids get to experience. And they're not going to let their lack of vision hold them back. And he's going on to medical school, right? Yeah, this, he's going to yeah. be in Kansas City in medical school uh, this fall. And, you know, based on, you know, what he's accomplished so far in life, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be successful in medical school. And he ran, what was it, 248. 248 in Boston yeah. on a really hot day, too. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely course. amazing. So, uh, so you've been able to see some of these students really kind of grow, mature, you know, reach the next stage of their lives, uh, people like Ian, people like Jen. Uh, so this fall, we're welcoming the incoming class of 2021, which seems mind-boggling. Uh, so what do you think will be different about this campus or about higher education in general by the time they walk the stage and graduate? Like, what is your advice to, you know, now looking four years out and beyond? Well, first of all, if I think about the physical space on our campus, you know, we are in the now implementing our master plan and so there are a lot going to be a lot of new buildings and facilities uh, by the time this class of 2021 graduates and you don't have to look any further than 18th and Wells to look at you know what's going on uh, with the new wild commons new residence hall but then we're also going to see the rec and wellness center uh, should be completed before they graduate which is very exciting I think uh, parts of the APRC will be done as well the athletic performance research center and uh, I think we'll be starting moving forward on innovation alley and so so and and what's exciting about those spaces is that they're different than we have currently. That those spaces are much more open and interactive, and really focusing on helping us be more innovative and entrepreneurial as a campus, and more you know common spaces. And the classrooms will be much different, you know, for much more hands-on learning. And and so when I think about where higher ed is going, you know, first I, I think there's really two things that are happening. You know, we talk about the impact of technology on higher education. I think the idea that you know, students will be having much more information provided for them online and through other media devices. So they will actually be able to learn or view things before they even come to class. So the classroom experience will be much more focused on, you know, how do I take the knowledge that is provided me you know, oftentimes now with technology and master it in on real world problems. And so I think you're going to see by the time those students graduate, there'll be much more hands-on experiences in the classroom. And many times they'll probably be watching the lectures and other things on their phone before they come to class and times when, when they want to see it. So I think that's really, you know, the direction that higher ed is going. And I think the students in 2021 will be really start to see the benefits, you know, of those classes. We already have over 200 classes online. And uh, so I think that by the time they graduate, we'll probably at least double that. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about the physical space. Like I look at the 707 building and I see that as like one of the first pieces in the puzzle. And, you know, we're still building, we have cranes on campus and we have all these other uh, developments, but to see that come to fruition, it felt like, okay, now you can kind of see where this is headed. You yeah. Know? And, and the greatest thing about the 707 uh, innovation hub was that project came about from two students, Sam and Creighton. Mm -hmm. And they, they applied for our innovation funds, you know, to build this space yeah, for students to gather and meet and really be able to share ideas and be able to build things and to be innovative entrepreneurial. And it was great. They, they submitted the proposal to sophomores, mm -hmm. and they got to see it done before they graduated as seniors. And it's yeah. really their legacy for the campus. And, you know, it's it really their students talk to me all the time about they just like to hang out there. There's swings and, yeah. and things, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just great. And so you're going to be able to see, you're going to start seeing more spaces like that on campus. Even in the new residence hall, there'll be more spaces, you know, the, the idea there'll be common gathering spaces for students 
you know, in wild commons. It's, it's, you know, very important things. When you think about what Innovation Alley is going to become, it's going to be the 707 hub on steroids and, you know, much bigger and have, have actually partners in there with us, companies and other things. So we'll have makerspaces and things for, you know, from supply chain management, you know, to uh, being able to do rapid prototyping to all kinds of, you know, things looking at what the future is going to hold. I think one of the first things you said when you arrived on campus was there's like pent up energy, yeah. you know, like these people have, like, I have this idea, I have this idea, I want to do stuff. And the innovation fund kind of like gave a funnel for that. And in the 707 hub is one visible place, but I think there's lots of other projects that like, people are like, I want to do this. So it's like, okay, now there's a process for it. There's, you know, um, you can apply for this and it can, you know, we can see where it goes. Is there any other projects from the innovation fund that stand out in your mind that, that uh, are kind of a signature piece of that? I mean, there's there's really, I mean, several of the projects have done really, really well since they've been funded. And, you know, part of, uh, you know, what we're doing is uh, we have, you know, projects w- that allow us to do more outreach to places like um, the Latino community here in Milwaukee. And, you know, those projects not only make things um the campus more accessible to those populations, but we're actually trying to make an impact in many of the health disparities, you know, that uh, that uh, exist in those communities. Uh, and, and I just think that, you know, the, the the Innovation Fund has been a great way, you know, for us to empower the campus to redefine how we do things, and in, in not just in, in terms of maybe academics, but in terms of research and, and the way we serve others. And so, you know, if you know if you can go down the line with you know eight, we're now in the in the third year, you know, we're seeing some real fruit, you know, of of the first projects that are coming out now that are, that are in their third year. And so, you know, we we couldn't be more excited about you know some of the things that have happened, you know, with those funds and. You know, I was just over in the College of Health Sciences, and you know there was a, a project that was a kind of a predecessor to the idea of the APRC, and now we have you know doctors and people in the community referring you know people to come down here to be tested and you know have the you know, performance you know uh, you know uh, looked at you know in, in a lab we have in the uh, College of Health Sciences, which which again it, it's great to see you know the community accessing some of the expertise we have here at the university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll link in the show notes of how to find all those innovation fund projects because I think we have a pretty cool layout on our website yep. of here's how to learn more about what's what's happening in these kind of incubation projects. Yeah. So I have one more question, uh, big picture question about higher ed before shifting gears to ask some questions about you. But uh, you've talked about how we as a university need to think differently in the coming years and decades ahead because of the changes in higher education. Uh, I think you've talked about some of them, but um, are there others that are some of your biggest priorities of how we need to think big picture and, you know, for the long term? Yeah. I, so the first I already mentioned, you know, online and technology, you know, is something that's it's going to be such an important part of the future of, of higher education. You know, and um, you know, I think about artificial intelligence. That's the next wave. That's what's going to hit higher, higher ed next, you know, first technology. And so how is artificial intelligence going to impact the way we treat, you know, teach and train students? And so I, I think that you know, we have to be very cognizant of, you know, where things are going. And I think the great thing for students and, and their families is these changes in higher ed are going to actually reduce the cost of higher education because right now, you know, it's a major concern for, for all of us, the amount of student loan debt that, that, that students and their families have to take on. And so things like, you know, um, you know technology, artificial intelligence, I, I believe they'll ultimately drive down the price of higher education and make college more accessible to everyone. And so I think, you know, that we're probably going to reach a day in the future where, 
you know, we'll still have some traditional students, but most of the students, you know, in higher ed are going to be people going to get recertified because their jobs are going to be changing so fast. And so you're going to have, um, you know, these this online and this other, other parts will be really just modularized, you know, so that you once you either you have your degree or rather than getting a degree, you're just showing that you have, you know, expertise in, in certain areas that will allow you to uh, go on and get that job or get to the next job that you're looking for. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading a book right now from 1971, I think, called Future Shock. And it talks about how things are changing so quickly. It's hard to keep up. I was like, that was in 1971. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, you're like you said, your your job changes so quickly. Yeah. You're going to have to get training as you go. And I just read, you know, that students that are in elementary school right now, uh, 75% of them are working in jobs that don't exist today. Yeah. And so that's that's the world we have to prepare students for. And so it's really important for us to have them focus on we need to teach students to be innovative, entrepreneurial, to be able to communicate and to be able to work in teams, you know, and really be creative problem solvers. That's if they have those skill sets, they'll be able to adapt to whatever the jobs are in the market today. And the standard lecture classroom model doesn't necessarily teach those skills. That's why we have to evolve and change. Yeah. Yeah, there's that saying, you know, do you do you train students for their first job or their last job? And I think that's kind of where liberal arts come in, where you have to train people like <laughs> for yes. both, you know, give them practical skills, but also like, okay, well, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, things are going to be different. How are you going to think critically and be prepared for that too? Yeah. So it's a challenge. Uh, so you've, you've, uh, um, you, you were an engineer, engineering major, uh, but you also minored in history in college. What role does that play for you today? Uh, what did you learn from that experience? Well, I, I was just saying if, if you're if you don't learn from your past, you're doomed to repeat it. You know, and I, I one of the great things about you know m- you know minoring in history was again it it gave me a different perspective about the world in in engineering school. You know, when I was there, you know things were black and white. There was a right or wrong answer for everything. You know, and all the Tesla exams, all my homework assignments. You know, you're in and understanding in the in the world, it's it's much grayer than that. And so I think. You monitoring in history, and you know, again, it did give me a perspective that the world isn't black and white. You know, and I think that's, you know, I think it's important for, yeah, particularly people in technical fields like myself, you know, to to get a broader based education to understand, you know, you know, a broader picture of the world. So, what advice would you give your twenty year old self? Well, it was interesting. I think the there's two things that you know I didn't focus on it all when I was, you know, getting my education. And that was my communication skills. And the second thing was leadership skills. And so uh, I didn't realize when I was 20 years old how important it was to be able to communicate effectively. And so uh, I only gave one uh, oral presentation during my four years of college, and that was my senior design project. And in my role today, I have to speak in public all the time and not having that experience in college was a real deficit for me. And actually when I was named uh, chancellor at UWM, I actually immediately contacted the theater department and worked for over a year uh, with some coaches over there to help me with my oral presentation skills. And, and the second thing is, is, is I didn't, I never really took any courses or classes or anything on leadership. And so Everything I've learned about leadership has actually been through trial and error, 
which is unfortunate because it's not only unfortunate for me, but it's also unfortunate for people that I, that when I made mistakes that were working with me or working under me. And so I wish I would have uh, learned something about leadership before, you know, I, I would have graduated. Is there um, anything that stands out from that training in under theater <laughs> that you're like you use today or you're like, oh, oh this is some time. Good. No, when I before I go give a presentation, there's techniques and things I do because yeah, when I when I first started, I you know I, I still talk fast today, but I talked really fast. I wasn't didn't articulate my words, you know, and so I've really had to focus on slowing myself down, you know, not trailing off at the end of sentences. Things that I, I would I would do, and it would affect you know part of what we did when I was over there is they filmed me, and it was very very painful to watch, you know, the the presentations that that I gave when I first started. But uh, and it just shows you can still you know, and I've you know, I still have a long way to go, but I've improved a lot, you know, since doing that. And I think it shows that you, you know, our whole juries can still, you know, get training and, and you know, improve your skill set. And I've seen some of, um, you know, your your reading list sometimes shows up on like a Milwaukee Magazine, you know, list or that sort of thing. Are there some of the books that stand out for you that helped you with leadership development? Oh, I mean, the, the my favorite book by far, you know, is a book called The Way of the Shepherd. And it is, um, I, I never forget reading it. I've never read a book that I read that resonated so much with what I believed and how I felt than when re- reading that book. And, um, you know, I rec- I've, I've recommended it to several people uh, to, to read it. And, in fact, Gary Meyer, who works up in the provost's office, uh, is now I I recommended to him he read it it resonated with him and now he's he's got a faculty development um, program that he does and he's actually having them read the book now too as well and so it and it's really about I mean what, what at the heart of that book is about is you know the reason why it's called the way of the shepherd is it doesn't explicitly say this but I think what the underlying meaning is is you know Christ was a great leader but he lived his life to serve others he was this, a servant leader and that's really what to be a great leader we all should aspire to that and I think that's why you know it resonated so well you know with me and I, I think I don't know if you read this this year or previously but uh, the Clayton Christensen book How We Measure Your Life yep. is there anything that stands out from that book as well I mean he's he's the Harvard no you know. no, it was a great that was, I mean that was a great book too and as well and it really when you when you look back on your life I think the most important thing that you should answer is, you know, how much impact did you have on improving the lives of others, particularly maybe those less fortunate than you? And that's really what, how we should measure what success is. So who would you consider your role model or role models? Oh, you know, I would think I, I've had I've had a lot of role models, you know, in 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 my career. And I think I think the the, the person that I I I attribute the most to in terms of being a role model was uh, when I was in uh, back at the University of Pittsburgh when I was in the engineering school. I was in a I was an associate professor, and uh, the dean there, guy named Jerry Holder, had uh, he actually promoted me to a, an associate dean for research position, and it was a position that you know at, at the time I was I probably was a little bit too young for, maybe not ready for, but he took a chance on me and gave me that role, and. I learned a lot about how, a number one, how to to really navigate you know, the university you know system to how how you get things done, and and also how to resolve conflict. You know that was a very important thing for me to learn from him. You know that when you're in a leadership role, you know resolving conflict is something that you know you know in in having 
people be able to work together in, in you know you know in aligned positive ways. Uh, there's you have to there's a certain skill set you need there in, in the way you do things and, and so I really learned you know from him you know how how to do that and so he was a, he was a great role model for me and he was he just uh, announced he was uh, stepping down as dean after 23 years which is an amazing run for him and it's a long time yeah, for a dean yeah exactly yeah. and he did it but he transformed the engineering school back in Pittsburgh but he was a great role model for me that I was able to learn from. So I think uh, to kind of wrap up the uh, these leadership and uh, you know development type questions is what one skill or attribute that do you think is central to success? I, I think the the most important uh, skill set to have to be successful in life is resilience. You have to be able to you know be able to fail, but then evolve from that and then grow from it. And you know they talk about. You know, grit may be the most important characteristics to to your success. To be able to really, you know, go through the tough times and the tough trials and tribulations, and to come out and learn from it, and come out on the positive, you know, side, you know, on on the other end. And so, you know, you learn a lot more from your failures than you do from your successes. To be totally honest with you, and so, it's it's the ability to to learn from, be able to handle the failure, take it in the right way, and, and grow from it. Yeah, um, actually just checked out from our Rainer Library. It's in the sort of the reading browsing section. Um, I think it's Angela Duckworth who wrote Grit. Um, and I opened it up to the first page, and it says it was donated by the Parents Association. <laughs> and I'm like, that seems like a good message, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like for students, um, because our students who do come in often, you know, at the top of their class, you come to college, and you have to relearn everything, and I mean, you'll, you'll have failures. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when when students – get to college for the first time uh it's the most difficult thing they've done to that point in their lives for most of them and because not only are they on their own for the first time but then they're exposed to an academic ringer that's greater than anything they've ever had before and students will always particularly during the freshman year will always stumble it's it's something and it's because it's really difficult and their ability to actually to make it through those tough times, you know, will ultimately help determine their success during their four years here on their campus. And so, yeah. again, I think that – and I think the most important thing, if, if I tell students, you know, what's the most important thing is during your first, you know, six weeks on campus, make sure you get engaged and you have a network around you because when you do falter – Having that network to help you be successful and get through the tough times is very, very important. There's nothing – the worst thing that students can do is to come to campus and become isolated. Yeah. Because then when they do fail and there's no one there to help them get through, that's when they might have some real difficulties mm-hmm. getting through. Yeah. Well, we just talked uh, – Maureen Lewis came uh, for one of these podcasts and – that was one of her big themes is she got her master's in counseling and studied, you know, uh, theory for student development. She talked about the most important thing is building a micro community, yep. you know, that community for yourself on campus. And uh, it, it can't be overstated no, <laughs> how important no. it is for four years and the rest of your life. So uh, so running is a big part of your life. Uh, this fall, you're again planning on running the Lakefront Marathon. Uh, we'll have a team of students, faculty, staff and alumni. So how did you get into running, and what advice do you have for those listening who want to get started themselves? Yeah, the um, I, I played team sports, you know, growing up and, you know, in, in middle school and high school and got to college, and, you know, I continued to play. You know, I was involved in rules. I also played, you know, club volleyball. And uh, I, I didn't 
I never really enjoyed running. You know, it was always punishment for those team sports, you know, or, or you know, something we didn't enjoy. But then I got into graduate school, and I was working in a uh, in a lab, and I was running experiments. And so I was really in the lab, you know, from morning until sometimes 8, 9 o'clock at night. And, and so I couldn't be involved in the team sports like I used to be. But the one thing I could do was I could set off a set of experiments and then go for a run and come back and, and analyze the results. And so that's really how I started running. And I, and I remember – you know, when I first started, I was I uh, I couldn't even run a mile straight, even though you know, or maybe I ran about a mile at a time, and then um, and then I just gradually was able to start building it up. I can remember the first time I then ran three, then five, and then eight, and then I remember I I did a robotic thing. I uh, I was running with some guys, and they were marathon runners, and they invited me. I had done eight, and they said, "Oh, why don't you come on one of our runs?" And actually went from eight to fifteen, <laughs> you know, all at once. But that's the beauty of being in, in your twenties that you can do those types of things. And uh, and I, I and I really I, I didn't run. I think I only ran one or two races before I did my first marathon. Like mar- marathon was like maybe my th- my third race overall. And but I mean, the good thing was is that I went from barely being able to run, you know, and this you know it's a great thing about about you know, training is that you can just, you know, just gradually build up, you know, I just, and, and, uh, and so it's something that, you know, I've obviously become very passionate about and really enjoy. And, you know, I, um, you know, I really, I really enjoy, you know, getting to meet the faculty, staff and students on campus. Again, it's a great, not only is it great physically, it's great for your mental health and it's also great socially, you know, the people I've gotten to meet on campus, I never would have met otherwise. How many marathons is it for you now? 30. 30, 30 wow. This lakefront will be 31. So for those who are thinking, maybe I should run a marathon this fall, there's Milwaukee Marathon, there's Lakefront, um, or even just, you know, a half or a 10K or five, anything you'd, you'd advise just to get started? Well, I think, you know, first of all, it, it's great to be part of a group. I think that that, again, that it provides motivation. It helps pass the time a lot faster. You know, it can be a, a, a lot of fun. You know, and the second thing is it's okay to to start off easy. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, again, you can walk, run. You know, you can run. And when you need to walk, walk and then run some more. And so that's okay. And and just know that uh, the first few weeks when you first start running is painful, you know. But then it doesn't take long to reach a point where it's enjoyable. And so it's just got to get through those first two or three weeks where – your body's, you know, adjusting, you know, to, to the stress that you're putting it under. But then, no, on the on the other side is, you know, once you've been running for consistently for a month, you know, it's it's usually a lot of fun. Yeah, usually there's like a six to eight week, I think, mark where all of a sudden, if you're if you're new to running or haven't run in a while, like you just see this like leap, yeah, and you're like, oh wait, what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> I can run. So, final question: What does Marquette's mission mean to you, and how do you live it out? Well, I I think. I mean, obviously, our, our mission really is, you know, to produce men and women who lift their life in service to others and go out and, you know, set the world on fire and change the world. And, you know, uh, it's interesting because you, when I go to the alumni awards, you know, we have the National Alumni Awards weekend, and our national award winners, you know, when I hear the stories and the way that they are changing the world, you know, I, it, it's very humbling for me. And so... Again, it motivates me to try to do more, you know, and, you know, we have so many challenges here in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, And so, you know, what I'm trying to do, you know, I'm I'm, I'm on a lot of boards. I'm co-chair of Milwaukee Succeeds, which is a cradle to career 
um, initiative, educational initiative. You know, and so I would say that much of what I try to do is based on education because I believe the the way you get people out of poverty is, you know, obviously to educate them. And so that's really been my focus on, you know, trying to not only make, you know, educational attainment something that, you know, everyone should have access to in, in Milwaukee, you know, but also then on the other side is, you know, once people get educated, also providing them opportunities to, you know, be innovative and entrepreneurial and use those skill sets to, you know, create companies and create jobs and, you know, really help you know, promote the city of Milwaukee. And so, you know, those are probably the two areas where, you know, I'm trying to, you know, serve the broader Milwaukee community. And again, you know, again, there's so many things that I see, but not only from our current students, but our alumni and what they're doing, it really inspires me and, and challenges me to continue to, to really focus on that. Yeah. And I think one thing um, that we've seen is like continued partnerships in the city, yeah, um, and being more involved in just Milwaukee and our home, yeah, and and and, under, and, and the thing again that I've that I've learned is that no one initiative that we're working on, you know, either on campus in the city, is going to fix all of Milwaukee's problems. But if we can get alignment between all these initiatives and you start stacking them on top of each other, suddenly you're making a big impact and uh, starting to move the needle on some of the major things we have going in the city. Well, great. That's all we have. Is there, do you have anything else to add? No, I just enjoyed uh, chatting with you and uh, looking up for another exciting school year coming up. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks. That does it for this edition. You can find a transcript of this interview, links, and show notes at stories.marquette.edu. If you'd like to nominate someone to be on this podcast, send a tweet to at MarquetteU or a message to facebook.com slash MarquetteU. For this and more podcasts, visit marquette.edu slash podcasts. That's podcasts with an S. See you next time.